What would you do if you heard a little boy being bullied? <laughs> I'd probably think it was kind of funny, but that story's not about me. What would you do if you heard a little boy being bullied right outside your house? Would you go outside to help him out? Or would you wait just a little bit longer to make sure the bullies weren't a deeply disturbing paranormal force? And then we look at the story of a doctor. Every so often he wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a ghost standing outside of his house. Wearing clothing from the 1900s. But what makes this apparition even more disturbing is this ghost who looks like she's been dead for over 100 years. Looks exactly like his recently deceased neighbor. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I'm still a little under the weather. Uh, Yesterday's episode, I was pretty sick. And this episode, episode, I'm actually recording just a couple hours later from yesterday's episode, but I can tell a difference. It's probably the medicine. That episode started off with me taking a bunch of cold medicine. I recorded it. I was super dehydrated by the end of it. And uh, here we go. The moderns of... The miracle of modern medication. <laughs> Jason, you still found you still sound really sick. I don't know why you think all of a sudden you're having a great day. It's only been four hours. So here's the plan. Here's the plan that I'm thinking about for the rest of this week. Because as I record this, I'm realizing I'm a lot sicker than I thought I was. You're like, hey, Jason, what did you think? You're recording this episode just a couple hours after the last one. Except for this part. I fooled you. This part I'm adding in... Uh, almost two days later, <laughs> and I'm still, I mean, you can hear it in me, right? Last, the, anyways, I don't mean to mess with your time, your ability to tell time, I'm not trying to Christopher Nolan you, but I'm recording this part uh, way later in the future, and I still feel quite miserable, so what we're going to do is we're going to have this episode you're listening to right now, messing with your concept of time, but I'm recording way later than the rest of the episode, and then... We're going to have two days of Dead Rabbit Radio classics. Those aren't the retro rabbits. Those aren't just repeats. Those are episodes that have a behind-the-scenes director commentary to them. They're basically like a brand-new episode because there's always like 20 minutes of new content on there. So we're going to have those for Wednesday and Thursday. And then for Friday, I, I assume I'll be better. I'm at that point in my sickness where my flanks hurt. You know, like the your lower back hurts, and that's because you're kidneys or whatever's back there is going come on boys let's fight this thing they're sending troops everyone <laughs> i'm just hallucinating again they're like no jason that's actually like a serious medical condition you're dying no i'm pretty sure armies are moving around in my body fighting the disease and you can't tell me otherwise so we're gonna have this episode two episodes of dead rabbit radio classics i know you guys love those you guys love the retro rabbits too which is really cool the repeats but then a brand new episode on friday we'll be back to normal next week Now, to go back into time. You're like, Jason, I'm listening to all this at the same time. I don't know why you say it's nonlinear. We'll do a full week of new episodes next week, God willing, obviously. Depending on my health. Uh, But someone who's always healthy, someone who makes sure that the people in his community are always healthy. Running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now. Everyone give it up for Mr. K. Woohoo! Yeah! Yay, yummy, yummy, yummy. We're going to eat him. <laughs> you look so delicious. We're going to gobble you up. 
Mr. K, the owner of Mr. K's Secret Kitchen, where he sells sausages. Apparently he has a sausage cart. Mr. K's Special Kitchen, or sorry, Mr. K's Secret Kitchen. I'm sure it's special as well. He's popped up in the YouTube comments a couple times. And he says that he plays Dead Rabbit Radio on his food cart. Which again, not a great idea, especially yesterday's episode. I talked about Ebola the whole time. But still, Mr. K is getting the word out. So Mr. K, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, if you guys don't own a food cart, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. I'm taking a Sudafed right now. We're going to get this bad boy started. So, Mr. K, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Mr. K, drive us all the way out to New York. (laughs) Driving all the way out to New York, specifically northeastern New York. We're headed to the Adronadac Mountains. The Adronadac Mountains. It's winter by the time we get there. We don't have a specific year for this story, but, you know, it's winter. It's almost midnight. It's cold. Snow's sweeping through the mountains. We're hanging out in this little village. This little village. It's modern time. (laughs) Like a bunch of elf village, some Vikings walking around with hand axes. I said I don't know what year, but modern times. Indoor plumbing has been invented. Television is a thing. I think it's a fairly recent story, past five, ten years, give or take. We're about to meet this young woman. We don't have her exact name. We're going to call her Becca. And she is house-sitting for some family members in this village. Now, when she went to stay at this house, and you know, these are family members. She'd heard these stories throughout the years. But she'd heard stories that there was something off about the house. And Becca had always heard these stories, and she always just chalked it up to it being an old house, and also older superstitions. She didn't really think anything of it. Didn't really think anything of it. Well, anyways, on this particular night, it's close to midnight. Winter has settled in, in the A. I think I lucked out when I pronounced that the first time. I don't know if I could do it again. Uh, the A. Duranadac Mountains. She's up in the uh, Adrianadac Mountains watching television, and all of a sudden. This story's so weird. I love stuff like this. All of a sudden, she realizes she's having a hard time hearing the television set. She's like, what? That's weird. Like, the volume seems to have turned itself down. And she's thinking, oh, why didn't... Did I sit on the remote or something like that? Like, what, what's going on? She starts trying to look for the remote to turn it back up. And she realizes... That not only has the sound of the television gone down, another sound has replaced it. She hears the sound of a little boy crying. Just outside the house, on the street, she hears the sound of a little boy crying. And there's a lot of little details that are kind of hitting her at once. First off, not just that the kid's like, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo, being like a big baby or nothing the kid is openly bawling (laughs) just crying as loud as he can and 
she can hear the sound moving down the street. So it's not like this stationary disturbance. It actually sounds like it's getting closer towards the house. The street runs parallel to the house. So like runs in front. It's not like coming. The sound's not approaching her door. It's like walking down the street, and which is a big. <laughs> there's a big. You might go. That's a minor detail. No, there's a big difference. If you're sitting in your house and you heard a choo choo, chicka 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 chicka, and it sounded like it was just going to drive by your house, you start hearing a ghost train. Oh, just regular train doesn't matter anyways. There's a train driving by your house. There's a big difference of that versus a train headed towards your house, like going to crash you through your front door. She doesn't hear the ghost coming. She doesn't know it's a ghost. Sorry. We don't actually even know if it's a ghost. This story's weird. She hears the crying boy traveling down the street. At this point, she just thinks it's a living, breathing, crying boy. So what are you going to do, right? You hear it's winter time. It's almost midnight. You hear a boy crying his eyes out. You're thinking the worst, right? Locked out of his house. Train. Train's chasing him. He's walking down the street. He's crying. So Becca gets up. And she goes to look out the window. Now, all of the curtains had been closed in this house, which is a smart way to to live at night. Otherwise, everyone can look in. And if I can see into your house, the chances of me breaking into your house go up. A lot of people don't realize that. All the blinds are closed, curtains. She hears this boy crying. She gets up to see what's going on. What what does this little kid need? And she goes, I walked up and I put my hand on the curtain to open it. And the second I touched the curtain, a new sound joined in. She hears the voices of other children, a multitude of kids, walking down the street alongside the crying boy. She doesn't see it because he hasn't opened the curtain yet. The second she put her hand on the curtain, she hears the sound of a bunch of other children And they're laughing. You can still hear the sound of the boy. (laughs) But almost surrounding this sound of sobbing, you hear. (laughs) All this laughing going on. But not only that. She goes, it wasn't that they were just laughing. They were jeering. It wasn't just like they had just all walked from a funny movie that this other kid really got sad about. They were laughing at his sorrow. She said, quote, it sounds like a pack of kids following the crying kid. And they are laughing just maliciously like if every bully you had ever got together and followed jeering at you at your worst moment. She sounded like they were having a ball. These other kids were having so much fun just laughing at this kid's sorrow, and she goes, I froze. I froze. My hand was on that curtain, and every part of my lizard brain, everything that's built into the human body at a subconscious level to keep me alive was screaming out. Don't do it. Don't open the curtain. If you open the curtain, you're going to die. 
And she goes, I stood there, I was frozen, I was too afraid to move the curtain, but I was too afraid to walk away from the window. I didn't know, like, even though the curtain was still drawn and I was not going to open it, I was afraid that if I turned my back and walked away from whatever was outside my house, because, or the house I was house-sitting at, it's, the road's right there. It's like a normal suburban neighborhood. The road's right there, so, I mean, it's only maybe like 20, 30 feet from, I probably should have said that earlier. You're like, what? What's the dimensions for this story? Maybe 20, 30 feet away that she's hearing this noise. She goes, if I opened the curtain, I was going to die. I also felt like I could not turn my back on whatever was out there. I stood there paralyzed. And she continued to hear the laughter and the sobbing, the laughter and the sobbing, walk by the front of her house. She just stood there. And she didn't move a muscle until she heard the sobbing and the laughter slowly move down the street. And eventually it faded off into the distance. And Becca said, I didn't sleep that night. I stayed awake all night long. And and as a skeptic would do, because remember, she walked into the story saying, you know, I heard, I heard, they never warned her about this particular event. They just said the house was weird. Weird things are going on. She chalked it up to, you know, just old people, old community being superstitious. And she ends the story in the same state of mind. She posted this online under the name Tailsmith22, 2022. I looked through some of her other posts. I didn't see anything that was make it out to be like she's just making up spooky stories, a quote unquote Tailsmith. But she said, um, when I think back to it, it had to have been that I had misheard a natural event. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a kid getting made fun of and other kids following them. That would be the first answer. It was really cold out. It was super dark. But, you know, kids can cry at all sorts of times. She goes, it could have been a natural event. She goes, it could have been a wild animal. Because I was up in an area that I didn't live at. It could have been a completely natural phenomenon that... My city slicker brain wasn't used to. I misheard something. You know, I didn't actually look out the window and I didn't see anything. So it had to have been something like that. Something 100% explainable. But this was super interesting. She goes, what I cannot figure out is why the television volume got distorted. And that's an interesting clue, right? You could chalk it up to, I know like the sound, every so often you'll hear a video of like a sound of a woman or a sound of somebody screaming from a forest. And a lot of times that's how foxes, it's not exact. I always look up the sounds of foxes screaming probably more than I should. <laughs> I probably typed it into Google way too many times. But it sounds like a shriek. I mean, I would definitely be startled by it, but it doesn't sound exactly like a woman screaming. But the idea is, so remember this all started off with a technical malfunction. The television stopped playing at the volume which she was listening to it at. And it didn't turn itself down. Wasn't that the, like, again, like she accidentally sat on the remote or turned it down. Whatever the phenomenon was wanted her attention. So what it did was, this is so weird. This is stuff I love about paranormal is that it actually was able to manipulate things within the house which means that the presence was that powerful and it was in a way in the house 
It wanted her undivided attention. If she was watching The Office at full volume, she might have heard the noise. It may not have got her attention as clearly. What really prompted this whole thing was she heard the television go down first, which got her to start getting up from her place of comfort and looking around. So this thing sparked off by it causing a technical malfunction. We see this a lot of time on ghost hunting shows and just, I think, ghost hunting in general. Uh, Cameras malfunctioning, video cameras not working in UFO encounters. But that one you always chalk up as, as... I think kind of the explanation is ghosts are draining the energy from those devices or aliens are manip- Obviously, skeptics go, of course, the one thing you could use to prove the existence of a ghost doesn't work when you're around a ghost. I get it. A lot of times they're saying that the phenomenon is so weird it's affecting the electronics. This one, I think, is malicious. I think it, was tur- it wasn't turning down the television to gather energy to manifest. It wanted her to get up. It wanted her to pay attention. Like it actually manipulated the one thing that she was watching to make her get up and notice something. That There's a maliciousness to that. A go- Not being able to take a photo of a ghost is, the theory is the ghost is pulling the energy from that device to manifest. This one's a little more terrifying. She goes, I can't explain why the television volume got distorted, why it dropped. And she goes, I also can't explain why my body reacted that way. It would be one thing if you heard the sound of someone being murdered out in your front yard. You may say, don't look out the window. Don't look out the window. If you look out the window, you're going to have to go and testify, right? You're going to have to point people out in trial. And who knows what's going to happen, right? Just don't look out the window. I mean, I know that's a horrible worldview to have. But um, it wasn't that. It wasn't anything that you would normally not look out the window of. It was the sound of a kid crying and other kids bullying him. And that might be something you would look out the window. I mean, I, I mean, listen, it depends on why the kid's being bullied. But to be honest, it might be kind of funny. They might be true. It might be a true. Maybe the kid's dressed in a goofy outfit. He's dressed up like a clown. And the kids are like, it's not even clown day. It's not even clown day. And they're wearing normal clothes. That'd be, that'd be, to be fair, it's not clown day. I don't know why he dressed up like a clown either, kid. I walk outside while bullying the kid, too. I'm like, what? Why are you just like a clown? I'm all pushing the other kids aside. It's like, let me lead this bully bully parade. You'd probably be curious if you saw a bunch of kids bullying another kid. You'd at least wonder if they're right. You'd at least wonder, like, Jason, no bullying's bad. And I don't know why you're pro- Jason, hopefully you've had some weird hot takes this episode. You've come out as pro-bullying and anti-testifying against murderers. You're like, someone got killed outside my apartment. Eh, not my problem. But if he's being bullied. <laughs> anyways, anyways. We'll chalk all that up to the cough medicine as well. Creepy story, right? Creepy story on multiple levels. What was the entity? What was that encounter outside of the house? How was it distorting the sound that... It wasn't even fight or flight. It was like, don't do anything. Don't draw attention to yourself. But it was out there and it really felt like it called her to the window. And again, I think that the bullying probably spoke to her. Someone else in that house may have heard something else. To get them up to look at that window. But interesting story. And I love stories where we see these kind of 
odd phenomenon. Like again, draining the batteries, ghost draining the batteries from a phone or a camera or a video camera, that's quite common. But the ghost actually turning down the, or whatever, the, I keep saying ghost, I don't know what this is, but the entity turning down the television so you pay more attention to it. I mean, that's that's very, very malicious. It wanted her to look out that window. And again, I mean, we haven't really even talked. What what was out there? What would have happened had she seen it? What did it want? Spooky story. Spooky, spooky story. Mr. K, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind New York. Fly us all the way out to a beautiful little neighborhood. We don't have a specific location for this story. It's just described as a remote area on the bay. Seagulls flying overhead as we're walking around this, how do you pronounce it? Idyllic neighborhood. A lot of retirees. A lot of summer homes, retirees. And, and then it's not just a place where you go to die because it's summer homes, right? So uh, old people love seeing kids. So you're out there fishing and Martha's in the kitchen and she's like, oh, yeah, look at that. More children. And you see like a bus pull up and a bunch of kids jump off. They're like, mommy, daddy, why are they on a bus actually? It's summertime. They're like, mom, dad, the hostage situation is over. We've been returned to our homes. The parents are all crying and hugging them. Summer homes. So that's cool. You get fresh blood in there. And then the old people get to see a bunch of kids running around flying kites. <laughs> None of that has anything to do with what we're about to talk about, by the way. I just wanted to build a picture. And you're like, wait, what? This is a hostage situation? What's going on? Does Martha have some evil plants for these kids? It's the year 2016 is where we're at. It's 2016. We're in this neighborhood. There's a lot of summer homes, a couple of year-round retirees. And there's a cul-de-sac in this area. It's a fairly wooded area near the bay there's this cul-de-sac of houses and at one of these houses we're going to meet this woman we don't have the real names so we're going to go ahead and call her phyllis and she's living at home with her husband bruce and these people are like in their 50s you know not like super old or anything like that but also not the picture of health especially because phyllis unfortunately develops a blood clot and 2016, by the way, I don't want any conspiracy theories flooding my YouTube comments. Story did not take place last month. Phyllis has a blood clot and collapses. Now, this area, I've kind of built it up to be very idyllic outside of the hostage situation. You, It's a pretty nice area, but the problem is, is it's so far away from everything else that when Phyllis gets this blood clot and her heart stops, her husband calls 911 and he's like, my wife, my wife, her heart has stopped. Blood clot. It's 2016. <laughs> 2016 doesn't have anything to do with anything that happened in 2020. And 911 goes, tell you what, tell you what. You perform CPR. You know how to do that, right? You've watched a lot of television shows. You perform CPR. We'll be there as soon as we can. It's almost an hour drive. To get to this house. That's how far off this little retirement slash summer home community is. Can you imagine that? Like, that would suck. I mean, CPR is to keep the blood flowing to the brain. 
So even if you live, you're not a vegetable. Is that, is that a term they still use? I don't know if they use that term anymore. But you got to keep the blood flow in a brain because it's like a matter of like, what is it? Two, three minutes and you'll start to experience brain death. Imagine giving somebody CPR for an hour, especially someone you loved. If it was just some guy on the street, <laughs> some guy on the street, they're like, oh, I'll be an hour. You're like, okay, I'll do my best 911 and you do a couple compressions. <laughs> and then you just sit there and you wait. Because you're not going to be able to keep it up for an hour anyways. You don't know this guy. <laughs> and then you hear the ambulance coming and you put water all over your brow. Make it look like you've been sweating. And then you start doing them again as the ambulance comes around the corner. And you're like, oh, my arms are so sore. I've been doing them. The dude's dead. You can't expect someone to give you CPR. If it was someone I loved, right? If it was someone that I loved dearly, I'd give him CPR for an hour. But no longer in 61 minutes. Sorry, sir. You would pump, you would push that blood into their brain for an hour. But the point is, is that she doesn't make it. She doesn't make it. It's so far away. Your arms would start to cramp up. You start looking for like, looking around, you're like, are there books I can put on her? Is there anything I have? Oh, I should have bought, I should have bought all those Mexican jumping beans on that one vacation. <laughs> you just have a jar on her and they're jumping up and down. Anyways, she doesn't make it. She doesn't make it. Which is to be expected, unfortunately. Well, a few months later, in this same cul-de-sac area, Bruce and Phyllis's neighbor, he's this guy named Michael. He's actually a doctor. And so he has a weird sleep schedule. You know, they do those weird, like, you work for 48 hours straight. I know, like, a, I have a couple of friends who are EMTs. They're always telling me stuff like, yeah, do we do, like, 48-hour shifts? And then we get a day off or something like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm mishearing them. But, but, but that sounds very not. We don't even let truck drivers pull 48-hour shifts. And they're not responsible with injecting me full of drugs and keeping me alive. I don't think they're. I don't think they're in the ambulance that whole time. Now that I think about it, I just think that means they probably sleep in the hospital. There's an This is the this really these last two episodes are really showing how my brain works at a basic level. I don't think the ambulance drivers like, falling asleep on the wheel. The people in the back they're all. Uh. I think it probably just means they're on call. They're like, Charles, Charles, you got 10 hours left of your 48-hour shift. They're like, I haven't slept in two days. It doesn't matter. Just drive around town. <laughs> and they're like running over people in the ambulance behind you. They're like, maybe we would have to pull 36 48-hour shifts if we stopped making our ambulance drivers stay awake for two days and injuring half the people in the county. I think they're probably just on call. For, I don't know. But anyways, where was I at? Oh, anyways. So this guy was an ER doctor. So he had a really weird sleep schedule. He would work odd hours and his hours would change and he would get called in to do stuff. And sometimes he just couldn't sleep. A lot of times he'd find himself waking up in the middle of the night. And his house, the way, because it was in this cul-de-sac area... You had Phyllis's and Bruce's house, and she'd passed away a couple months ago. There's like this wooded path area between their homes and then Michael's house. Again, the story's so weird. And this this is an issue. This is a, there's a lot of stuff we can read into this. 
Michael said, quite often, it didn't start right away. But a couple months after Phyllis had died, he would look out his window and he saw Phyllis walking down this wooded path. And obviously it alarmed him. He's a man of science, right? He's a doctor. He's seen a bunch of people die in his life. He may or may not believe in ghosts, but at the end of the day, you would have to believe in the power of the power of medicine, the power of science. So to actually see a ghost walking that close to your house, it would it would alarm anyone, but I think it would definitely alarm you if you did, you know, build a career around the rational. He sees a ghost. It's not just a figment of his imagination. He knows it's Phyllis's spirit. Because he keeps seeing it. He's seeing it on different nights. But he's only seeing it at night. And he can observe her from where he's at. And he goes, she walks down this path and she looks very confused. She looks like she doesn't know where she's at. And more importantly and more worrisome, she doesn't look like she knows why she's there. There is a difference between the two. If you're lost in a cornfield maze, you go, I don't know where I'm at. If you don't know why you're in the corn maze, if you're like, I just went to the bathroom at work, and the next thing you know, I'm standing in a 600-foot corn maze, you're going to have a totally different look on your face. Versus, oh, well, here I am, paid good money, and I'm lost in this corn maze. There's a big difference. She looked confused. She was terrified. She was disheveled. But the oddest detail is she was wearing clothing that Michael, and I really think anyone could, identify from the early 1900s. And I'm assuming the story takes place in America, right? But I think you could look at someone, if you saw someone come in with clothing, really from any, wherever country you're at, from 1900, you could go, that person's wearing old-timey clothing. I don't think he goes, oh, those buttons are on the left side, and they're inlaid with ivory. I think it was obvious to him that she was wearing old-timey clothing. She was wearing old-timey clothing. The same thing if someone walked into your school or your place of work wearing clothes from the 1960s. You'd go, oh, it's like retro day. It's a retro day thing. So he can tell that she's wearing clothing from the 1900s, early 1900s. He can tell that she looks disheveled and confused. And she's also walking around and looking around very frantically. And she makes this back and forth type of like back and forth across the path. I mean, the, the, the look and actions of a wild woman, really. The look and actions of someone who's lost, not just in place, but in time. Not because of the clothing, but she's dead. She's dead, and it's like she doesn't know that she's dead, yet she's manifesting in this weird... She didn't die on the path. If she died on the path, we would understand why her ghost was so frantic. You could argue maybe that path was where she found the most peace. That's true, but she's bringing so much negative energy to this area. Like, she doesn't look like she's at peace. And what is up with the clothing? Like, the ghost feeling and looking lost, that can happen. We do have stories like that. I have a couple coming up where that happens when people die. But what's up with the clothing? Why is she dressed in the 1900s clothing? That's the weirdest detail about it. 
But Michael knows this is Phyllis. Like, that is clearly Phyllis's face. I know that's Phyllis, but why is she wearing this clothing? You could say it's sad that her ghost is stuck and that's why she's acting so erratically. What's up with the clothing? And he saw her ever so often. It would, if you saw it once, you would chalk it up to a nightmare. Just a really weird dream. But he sees it every so often. He can identify it as Phyllis. It ha- it's doing the same thing each time. It's dressed the same way each time. It's dressed in these 1900 clothings. It's walking back and forth across the path. In a state of panic. Trying to figure out where she is. Why she is there. Michael said eventually though. This frequency slowed. He stopped seeing it so often. He was seeing it. Instead of every couple weeks, every couple months. And then eventually stopped seeing her altogether. Years later. Years later. And this wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't want to say this right away because you could totally panic people. But years later, Michael was talking with Phyllis's family. And had mentioned, hey, you know, guys, this is going to sound really weird. A little disturbing. It's a little disturbing, right? It's more disturbing than a lot of ghost stories. Because it's going to sound weird and disturbing. But after Phyllis died, he's talking to Phyllis and her children, her adult children, you know, husband. He goes, after Phyllis passed away, I saw her a couple times, more than a couple times. I would be up late at night and I'd look at my window and, you know, that forested path between our homes. I saw her. She'd be walking around. She'd be looking frantic, disheveled. She looked like she was in a state of panic. And, and I don't want to say the oddest detail because it's all odd. But she was wearing clothing from the 1900s. I mean, like you could identify it as that. Saw her for a while. And eventually the frequency slowed down and stopped. And it's an interesting story to tell. Uh, you know, he's telling the family this, and it was interesting because the two adult children, a brother and a sister, they were talking, because now, obviously, you're not going to be like, oh, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? You ready for the big game? This is the topic of conversation. As they all started talking about it, the son and the daughter, Phyllis's children, both said, because, you know, obviously we don't have dates outside of 2016, but, you know, Michael was being more specific with them. The children said, that's really weird that you said that you stopped seeing her around such and such a time. Shortly before that, and within days of each other, they had not told, the the son and daughter had not told each other this, but within days of each other, they both had a dream that their mom came to them and said, like, uniquely vivid dreams. They said they, they... and absolutely felt it was real. Mom came to them separately and said, Hey, I'm aware now that I'm dead. I understand that I'm dead and I'm acknowledging it and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with being dead and I just want to let you know that I love you and I'll miss you. All of that. And the son and the daughter had those dreams just a couple days apart. Which, that alone already, having two people having the same dream is so weird, especially in such a short timeline. And that tacks up to around the time when Michael stopped seeing the ghost at all. 
I'm thinking the schedule was probably pretty regular if they were kind of matched up to a time like that, but that matched up to it. So you do have this confirmation that once she realized she was dead, she stopped appearing, which again, is really interesting detail, but what's up with the 1900s clothing? That is probably the biggest detail. And because we've talked about theories like, why are there no fat ghosts? We've done an episode on that. I've done a, uh, I did a live presentation on that. I have another one coming up in November, which I'll go into more detail about later. But um, why did she appear in the 1900s clothing if she died in the year 2016? This is so weird. This is super weird. This story was posted online by someone going by the name of Case of the Sads. And that is actually a relative. It wasn't Michael or Phyllis. Obviously Phyllis died, but it was just a relative of, of the family. But... She said, um, what's interesting is the reason why they believe she was showing up in the clothing from the 1900s was because Phyllis was writing a book, a biography, about someone who lived in the early 1900s. And she was spending a lot of time writing it. She was really focusing on it. A lot of her mental power writing the true life story of a woman who lived and died in the early 1900s. This story, if true, changes so much that we know about ghosts and ghostly phenomenon. For one simple fact, a lot of times when a ghost researcher or even someone just living in the house is trying to figure out what is going on. That's always the first step. What is going on? Why is this happening to me? Why is it happening at this house? Who is it? Who is this specter? That will really let you rule out whether or not this is a simple human ghost versus some sort of demonic manifestation. And a way we do that is we look at them as much as we can. Sometimes you can't see them. Sometimes you can just sense them. But we will look at a ghost. And up until this point, up until this story was published very, very recently, the idea was is that if you had a witness come to you as a paranormal researcher, a witness comes to you and says, I look outside my window and I see a woman dressed in early 1900s clothing walking through the pathway between my house and another house you would immediately start digging into the history of that area around the turn of the century. Trying to find stories of young women who had died in the early 1900s in that area. And that would give you a clue as to who this spirit was. And maybe it is just the spirit of a woman who killed herself because her lover died in a war. Maybe it's the story, which was tragic, which is a tragic ghost, but it's less tragic. I shouldn't say less tragic. It's less dangerous than, oh yes, at the turn of the century, the town here, they killed the witch. They burned her at the stake right where these two, right in between these two houses. Two houses weren't there yet, of course. And she said that she would return someday. Someday she would return and kill everyone in town. Obviously, you're going to handle those as two different types of hauntings. It's guesswork. You have to go, well, we think it might be this person who died tragically. We have to try to build this backstory. Paranormal researchers do this a lot. You see it a lot on ghost shows. You see it a lot in paranormal writings. This throws all that out the window. This basically, in a way, confirms 
what I talk about when I do my presentations. I did an episode on it, but I've turned it kind of into speaking. I've done speaking engagements on it now. Why are there no fat ghosts? Why, when the epidemic of obesity claims so many lives, I think it's like the number one or number two global killer, obesity-related illnesses, there's very, very few instances of fat ghosts. I found maybe three over 30 years of research. I found one, a new one recently. Super rare. There should be millions of them. Why not? My idea, my hypothesis was is that when you die, you take the form of how you perceive yourself. And I go into this whole thing, like, when I dream, I'm not overweight. When I dream, I'm not obese in my dreams, unless the dream's specifically about people making fun of me being obese. In my dreams, I'm 220. So the idea is, is that that is how I would appear as a ghost. But yeah, I didn't really have anything to back that up. I'm just going off the fact that there should be more fat ghosts and there aren't. I mean, it's an observation. I'm making an observation based on what I see in the real world and what I see in the world of the paranormal and in the world of paranormal research. This does confirm that in a way, where she saw herself in early 1900s garb because in the months leading up to her death, she was consumed by that time period. She was writing a book about someone from that time period. So when she died, she was wearing those same clothes which just opens up a whole weird ball of wax does that mean that if frank miller died when he was writing robocop 2 he would be a robocop <laughs> you're like no jason that's not what it means he hated that movie <laughs> that would be like that would be hell for him but I don't think that's the case. I think that they have half the info here. I do think that the ghost that they saw was Phyllis. And I do think she was wearing clothing that was not of her time period, right? Not of 2016. She's wearing clothing of the early 1900s. But I don't necessarily think it's just because she was writing a book about the 1900s. Because if that was the case, we would see ghosts of people in future futuristic outfits. We'd see people dressed up like Fry from... Futurama, which I guess really just blue jeans and a jacket. I mean, that's not too unusual. But I mean, think about all the people out there who are in the midst of dreaming up their perfect sci-fi novel or their great work of fantasy. They're, they've made all their maps and they've created all the lore, but they've never gotten around to actually writing, putting pen to paper. They always stop at that step. So then they create more lore and they have this huge headcanon about this great fantasy world that they've created. And for whatever reason, maybe it's fear, maybe it's laziness, procrastination, what have you. They've never actually written any of their fantasy novel, but most of the time you spend with them, the back of the mind, they're thinking about their great story. And then they die. They die. Like so many people out there, you have a dream, you never realize it, and you die. You get hit by a bus. In theory, I mean, that person spent their entire life, right, from the age of 13 when they first opened up The Hobbit they or played the first game of D&D, &D, they began crafting this immensely visual fantasy world in their head, Thalorian. And they're running around and they have all these wars and battles and stuff like that. Far longer than Phyllis had been thinking about this biography she'd been writing, 
He gets hit by a bus. Shouldn't we see fantasy ghosts? How can I say that? I go, dude, what if that's what demons are? (laughs) What if what we think demons are actually hardcore role-playing dudes being their characters? Go, probably not, right? I mean, they predate time and space. They were around before the construction of the universe. I don't think the very first demons were LARPers. Why don't we see Gloomy, son of Gorn, this three-foot-tall dwarf, Carrying around a six-foot-long battle axe. Why don't we see him in a haunted house? Because the guy who had been creating that story for decades of his life died. And now he's that guy. And now he's this big old dwarf walking around. Oh, a dwarf, you idiot. You know what I mean? The house, the whole house is shaking. You're like, ah, why did he have to, why did he have to be reading Jack and the Beanstalk right before he died? Giant ghost beanstalk is growing through your house. You're like, ah, why don't we see that? Why don't we see more fantasy ghosts or sci-fi ghosts? I've talked before on my show where I don't, it's been like hundreds of episodes since I mentioned this, but I have this fantasy novel in my head. I'll never write it. I'll never write it because I'm not good enough to write it is what I say. Like, I like doing this podcast. I'm not good enough to, but it's this sprawling sci-fi world that I've done all that stuff. I don't have maps because I'm bad at maps, but it's alliances and empires and, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm that's basically how I go to sleep at night. I tell myself a little story that takes place in this world. It's been continuing for, God, I don't know, off and on for about 20 years. When I die, I don't think I'm going to be floating around as a scren, right? I'm not going to be like, which would be pretty badass, right? They're pretty dope aliens, but... I'm not going to be flowing around as a screen. I would be a skinnier version of Jason. Even though I spend, I don't spend all day long in that fantasy world. It's just a nice story that I've been telling myself. It's been going on for a long time. <laughs> Quite the cliffhangers every night. I was like, oh, I can't go to sleep. What happens next? I don't think I'll become one of those sci-fi characters. I think that this story, let's assume the story is true. We don't have any evidence to the contrary. I looked through the posting history. Nothing popped up as being, you know, other other weird stuff like this i think they're half right i think what's going on is that and this is really weird i think the ghost appears as a woman in the 1900s is because partially is because of writing the biography that's not the only answer because we would see a lot more sci-fi and fantasy ghosts i think that actually i'm thinking about what if that's coming what if the sci-fi alien ghosts fantasy ghosts are not of previous generations this has been a more dreamy not doing generation i don't know i don't think so but um just throwing that out there i don't think it's just because she was thinking a lot about the 1900s if i asked you to describe to me a ghost and then i go not casper not slimer not like a cartoon ghost a human ghost and i go what are they wearing Most of you, myself included, we would not say blue jeans. We would not say white t-shirt. We wouldn't say jacket. We would say old-fashioned clothes. I want you to imagine the ghost of a woman walking through a house. You go, okay. 
what was she wearing? And you go, uh, like probably like a, a long dress, maybe like not like a ball gown, but like a fancy long dress. I'm not thinking of like a cocktail party dress. I'm not thinking of a dress you'd see if you walked into Macy's today and some girl was buying a dress. I'm not even saying like a dress from the 50s, right? I'm not saying like a petticoat dress or like the dress from June Cleaver. No, I'm clearly picturing a dress that wouldn't look out of place in a Tim Burton movie. A long dress. Probably white. Maybe because it's a ghost. Maybe it's because she was wearing white. But very, very classical design. Not necessarily Elizabethan. I would probably place it somewhere around the early 1900s. Like, your brain does default to these old ghost stories. We are informed by the culture and that can control what we see. I know this is super weird and it might be really esoteric, even esoteric for a ghost podcast, but what I'm saying is that she was wearing clothes from the 1900s as a ghost. On the one hand, she was researching this, but I do think a big part of it is she figures that's what ghosts are supposed to look like. It's super subtle. I don't think that when she died, she definitely wasn't dressed in the 1900s clothing. She was pro- she had a blood clot in her house. She's probably walking around in sweatpants and a t-shirt. And we talked about this on the show. How come there aren't any how come there aren't a lot of ghosts who are just walking around in their underwear or naked? Where are all of those ghosts? And the answer may be the old man who died in your house 8 years before you moved in. If his spirit is still there, he may be dressed in clothing that makes it look like he's from the 1900s because that's what he thought a ghost is supposed to look like. It's weird, but think about how on such a subconscious level, when I said describe a ghost walking down a hallway, most of us did picture, when I asked what were they wearing, most of us did picture them wearing older clothing. It's totally subconscious. So when you die, I don't think you go to this giant wardrobe and you're like, oh, my winger shirt. I was always a fan of this band and I'll be a fan of them forever. No, if you manifest back as a ghost, it's all so just chaotic and and all of these memories and all of these things are just reaching out and pulling together. And then when you are back in the world of the living, You may look like a ghost that died 100, 200 years ago, and that's going to throw all the research off. Had the doctor not known Phyllis, had this been a neighbor who had just moved in, like the doctor moved out after she died, and then a new neighbor moved in, and for a couple months was looking out his window and was seeing this ghost in this 1900s clothing walking down the pathway and had no idea that that was Phyllis. He did not recognize her at all. He would have just thought, That's weird. There's a ghost. This place is haunted. Maybe someone died back in the 1900s. He saw her quite often and then it became less frequent and then he never saw it again. And it would have just been a story that he maybe told his friends or told people when they came over. He never would have talked to the neighbors about it. He never probably would have brought it up or even met them. Because it wouldn't have been super notable. You probably wouldn't want your neighbors to think that you're crazy. There's a ghost walking around. But he recognized her. He clearly goes, that's my neighbor. That's my neighbor who died. But she wasn't dressed in clothing that she wore 
while she was alive. She wasn't dressed in that clothing when she died. I think part of it was because she was writing that book, but part of it is when she became a ghost, she became what she thought ghosts look like. What we all think ghosts are supposed to look like. Fascinating story. Again, if this, if this story is true, it changes what we know of about life after death. And to be honest, we don't know much at all. But this is just another absolutely bizarre wrinkle in that mystery what are ghosts how are they formed why do some appear and some don't and why why are so many of them tend to come from the 1900s we just assumed that was because those when a lot of ghosts appeared but maybe the ghost that you're seeing wearing that old-timey clothing is someone who died in your lifetime Bizarre. I mean, again, again, the, the the world of the paranormal is it's absolutely fascinating. It's it, it, bar none. Nothing is more interesting than stuff like this, because these are mysteries that we'll never have the answers to. And sometimes those are the funnest mysteries to explore. And I'm glad through sickness and health you've been with me as we explore these together. I really do appreciate you guys. Two days of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, and then we'll be back with new episodes. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. See you in a couple days, guys.